Good morning. Our scripture passage this morning is from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. You can find it in your bulletin or your Bibles. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I, for one, really miss like the noisy exit of the kids. That was almost, that was almost too orderly, but hope they have a great time. Well, good morning again to all of you. We're continuing our series in the book of Hebrews today, and uh, you'll notice we have some new signs on stage, so those are not just backdrops, but they are actually uh, four words that uh, we'll refer to from time to time as we go through the book of Hebrews. So to your left and to my right on the far left side over there, it's the word creation. So when we see the word creation, we think of Genesis 1 and 2. We think of the way God designed things to be. But then if you move across the stage, you get to the word fall. The fall refers to mankind's rebellion against, against God and then all the effects that came from that. We'll talk a little bit about that today. But the fall is the way things are in our world. The world's in a mess, and everybody knows that. We recognized that again yesterday as we remembered what happened 20 years ago. But the, the mess extends way beyond that. So that's the effect of the fall. Go over to here, though, and you see the word redemption. We see that we have a God who, uh, who, who says that the story isn't over with the fall that he sent his son to redeem mankind, to redeem those who would put their faith in Christ. What he did on the cross, he rose from the dead, and all that goes with redemption. And then on the far right, you see restoration. This is the way things can be, redemption, but the restoration is the way things will be when God recreates the heavens and the earth. And so that is the larger story of scripture. So that as we think about our lives, as the children are back in splash, and as we think about the book of Hebrews, we always want to be asking this question, how does this fit in the larger story of redemption? Now, in the passage that was just read in Hebrews 2 and in verse 1, you noticed a word there. It's the word uh, drift. We need to pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we would not drift away from it. This sermon is about the danger of drifting, and I actually think that this sermon is very timely in light of where we're at as a nation, where we are at as a church. I think it is a very, very timely warning, the danger of drifting. And uh, so this, the, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is like a pastor. He's a pastor who cares for his readers who happen to be living in uh, the 60s AD in Rome, undergoing persecution, and he's concerned about the risk of drift in their lives, and so he wants to reach out to them. So one of the ways that you can look at this sermon, if you're watching online today or if you're here this morning, you can look at this sermon as a sermon that's for drifters. It's a sermon where, where in a sense, I as your pastor want to reach out to you. 
if you're, if particularly if you feel like you're drifting in your life, because the Bible warns against the danger of drifting, and so it's really important that we understand what drifting is, what it looks like, what the consequences would be, and how not to drift. So that's where, that's where we're headed in the sermon today. And I feel like this would be a very significant conversation for us to have, so I wonder if you would just bow with me in prayer, and let's pray for the effect of God's word on our hearts this morning. Lord, as we come to this passage and we think about the reality of living in a fallen world where Christ has come, where so much is possible, many of us in this room or many listening to my voice can identify with the temptation to drift away from the faith and to drift away from the community of faith. So we pray that, Lord, in a very significant way, that it wouldn't be me reaching out to this church, but it would be you by your Holy Spirit wooing our hearts, making your word come alive, making your word relevant to where we are. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I love to go to the beach, love to go to New Smyrna. My brother lives in New Smyrna. A lot of you have been to New Smyrna. I love to go there and love to go swimming. And if the waves are good, I'm not a surfer like my brother, but I do like to body surf. Learn to do that in California where, the, where you have actually real waves. But I notice something when we go to New Smyrna Beach. This happens really often. Molly and I will set up our beach umbrella and uh, we'll both be sitting there reading, you know, basking in the shade, uh, having a great time on the beach, and I'll start to get, I'm going to go get in the water, I want to see if I can catch some waves, and so I'll dash out to the water, I'll fight off the waves, I'll make my way out there, and I'll start swimming around, and I'll start trying to catch some waves. And then something really interesting happens, though, that I've noticed, and I wonder if you've experienced it before, and that is, I'm out there for a while, and then I turn around, and I look at somehow I am way up north, from where, I, from where I came out. Looks like my, our umbrella's here, but then I'm suddenly down here, and it's almost imperceptible that it happened. Now, what's going on there? Well, that's called a riptide or a rip current, and what's happening is that I haven't even planned on it, but I am drifting from my home base. I am drifting from where I'm, where I suppose, I'm supposed to be. So that's how drift works, it just moves you, it's almost imperceptible, and that story is such a picture of what this passage is about, because when the writer to the Hebrews talks about how drifting works in our lives, it's something that does not require any effort to drift, it is almost imperceptible. If you start to drift spiritually, it's happening not necessarily because you chose to do so, but it's because it's just happening naturally. And what I've learned <clears throat> to not drift at New Smyrna Beach, there are two things that I have to do. Number one is I need to keep my eyes, where would it be, the, on, on the beach umbrella, where we are. In other words, I need to know where I'm, where I'm supposed to be. And that umbrella, keeping my eyes on that umbrella helps, helps me know where I need to be. But there's a second thing that I need to do, and that is that I need to resist the drifting. I need to dig in my heels, I need to fight it, I need to keep moving back against the drift and against the tide. And I wonder how many of you can identify with that in your Christian life. Can you sense a downward pull? Can you, 
Can you sense a drift in your life away from the faith? Now, the reason this is in the Bible, though, is because a lot of us are drifting and we don't know that we are. So if I'm, I'm, this morning, I'm not just a pastor. I want to be a lifeguard. I want to say, wake up, notice what's happening. There's a warning in this passage, and that's what Hebrews is about. It is a warning passage about the riptide that will affect your life and to make you to make you to drift, and it's and, it, and this is good that he's telling us this is not a bad thing. A warning passage in the Bible is not a bad thing. It's not something to be afraid of. It is a good thing. It is a corrective thing. So I hope you'll receive it in that way. Three points. You ready? Here they are. Number one, we're all drifters. Number two, drifting doesn't end well. And number three, hope for drifters. Drifters. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the fact that, um, that we all drift. So that's my first point. All of us in this room are drifters. Now the reason for that is because we're not living over there in just creation right now, but we live in a fallen world. So there are forces all around us that are pulling us away from the faith. We live in a fallen world. Not only that, but we have fallenness in our hearts. And so over the years, you've heard me say in my own life that I am aware that in my heart there is a downward pull there is a downward pull towards sin. If it's anger, if it's lust, if it's pride, if it's materialism, I can sense in my own heart this downward pull. And not only that, there are forces in the culture, there are currents in the culture that are pulling you away from the faith. And so that's the reason that we all at some level are drifters and I wanna put us all on the same page about that so we can be honest about the fact that we're all drifters. I did not plan the songs this morning. I don't know whether Lydia, that, whether that was you or Mark or you did that together, but there's a, there's a hymn that we sang. No, actually we're going to sing it. Come Thou Fount, and it's got this phrase. It's one of my favorite hymns. We're singing it at the end of the service, but in that hymn it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Do you ever identify with that? That's why I love that hymn. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Can you relate to that? Have you ever felt that in your life? Now, I want you to look at this term. Look at Hebrews 2.1 in your bulletin right now. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. What is he talking about? The word drift was used in the ancient world as a nautical term, and it was used to describe a seafaring vessel, a sailboat that had drifted off course. And so that's the whole idea. It's a nautical term, and it's about drifting off, off course, and it's something that happens to all of us. So beware of that. Beware of drifting off course. That's what it's talking about. Now, why would the writer to the Hebrews bring this up to his audience that lived in the 60s A.D.? Why would they face a temptation to drift? We notice in verse one again it says therefore, so in light of chapter one, last week we talked about someone greater. We talked about how Christ reveals and he restores. We talked about how, uh, about how Christ works in our lives, how he reigns. We talked about in light of that, 
And, and what the writer is saying is in light of chapter one, I don't want you to drift. Now, why does he have to bring this up to them? As we said last week, there were, there, there's at least one force going on in their lives, and that is persecution. So uh, this is right around the time of Nero. It is right around the time that the Roman Empire is going to persecute the Christians, and so they have a fear of that. Now, in America, we don't fear that. Now, you might think that you're being persecuted for this or for that, but you don't live in China. You don't live in certain countries in the Middle East. You don't live in Algeria where they're closing churches. You don't live in something like that. But you can see, don't you, why there would be a temptation to drift because of that threat of persecution. But there was another drift that I did not talk about last week that I want to add today because you'll see it uh, as we go through the book of Hebrews. And it was a drift not because of persecution, but it was a drift back to what I'm going to call tradition, a drift back to tradition. They had heard about the gospel, they'd heard about the good news of Christ, but they were being persecuted, and so they were tempted to go back to what's called the old covenant before Christ came. In other words, they were gonna go back to ritual, back to religion, and back to tradition. Now, we can't relate to them because probably none of us in this room are struggling with the temptation to go back to the tradition of Judaism or the Old Covenant. But remember, that was their world. That was their family's world. That was their comfort zone. That was what they were raised with. Now, I experience a day today, or I see it today, for example, if somebody comes from another religious background. So Molly and I have, have, have a lot of friends. We have some friends who are, who are of the Muslim faith and sometime I will invite them to church around Christmas time or around Easter, and we have a great relationship and we'll talk about stuff, but I could only picture, as I think about some of my Muslim friends, what a challenge it is for them to come to faith because they've got all this tradition, all this family. I have other Muslim friends who have been raised in that tradition who have come to faith in Christ, they've come to believe in Jesus Christ, and I know a little bit of what that is like from them because of the temptation of tradition, so we can relate to that. The same is true for any of us in this room that came from either a Protestant or a Catholic tradition where our faith growing up was basically ritual, it was religion or it was tradition, and it wasn't genuine faith in Christ, and so we have a tendency, it's hard to break away from that because we can relate to uh, our family background and what we were raised, and we think, well, I was just raised in the church, and I'm gonna keep going back to the tradition part of it. And what we need to see, again, whether it's from a Protestant or a Catholic background, whether it's Methodist or whatever it might be, Whatever that tradition was, if that's the basis of your salvation, what you need to get back to is the true nature of the gospel of Christ, who he is and what he did for you. So that's another reason that they could be, uh, that, that it could happen back then. But what about today? Why are you and I tempted to drift? We were talking about this as elders uh, at our elders meeting this past week, and we had a great conversation about how there's just this heightened tendency these days among Christians in the church to drift. And one of our elders, Bart Johnson, brought up in Mark 4.19, it's called the parable of the sower. Jesus taught the parable of the sower and he talked about how the word of God would fall on people's hearts. But one of the things that he warned about is that 
there are some people that the word of God would be choked in their life over time. In other words, they might make an initial positive response to the gospel, to the seed of the gospel in the soil of their heart. But then Jesus says what happens is that over time, he says three things, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word. Now think about that for a second. Think about your life right now and think about how the worries of the world have affected your faith. The worries of the world. Maybe it's worries about the direction of our country, worries about politics, worries about you know, all sorts of economic things or whatever they might be. The worries of the world can be like a current that can draw us away from our faith. What about the deceitfulness of riches? Jesus talked about the deceitfulness of riches. Now, we have a a lot of range of wealth in our church, but basically our whole church is wealthier than much of the world, every individual here. But the Bible teaches that there's something that having money does to us. It says in 1 Timothy 6 that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And so when a person shifts in their heart and their affection is on money instead of upon, upon God, Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. Money is deceitful. Money, what money does is it distorts your perception of things and it gets you going down in a way where you, you disengage from the church, you disengage from your relationship with Christ and it makes you into a different person. And remember this, it's like the ocean current. It is imperceptible. You didn't choose it, but it happens to you and you have to be vigilant against it. The worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and then the desire for other things. Have you ever noticed how there are people who, will, who are around for a while, but that they wander from the faith because they have some sort of an unfulfilled desire? They live in a fallen world. This is a world that is filled with all sorts of unfulfilled desires, and we expect God to just sort of, we're consumers, and we expect to get everything we want but that is not the way the world is. But the desire for other things can cause people to compromise their faith, to leave their faith, or to drift from their faith. So there's ways that it was true back with the, the, the original readers of Hebrews, but it also was true in our lives. Now, is there a heightened need or a heightened concern right now because of COVID, because of the divisions in our country because of all of what's going on in the world, is there a heightened risk of drifting in the lives of Christians? I would say the answer to that is yes. And I wanna issue a warning to you. Just even, even just things like, you know, dealing with things like masks and debating that, or the fact that during COVID, it has put such a damper on fellowship and on community and on relationships there's a tendency just to hunker down, and you've gotta be aware there are reasons that we'll go, we're, we've been going through this period, but we need to be aware what isolation does to us, where we're isolated from fellowship and we're isolated from the church. When I was a young Christian, I heard this illustration that uh, coals on a fire burn brightly when they're together, but if you just take one coal off the fire, it dies out. That's what happens to you when you get away from the fellowship of the body of Christ. And so here's a question for you. Is your heart growing cold? Do you have a colder heart 
towards spiritual things than you did a year ago or two years ago or five years ago? Has that happened to you? Have you disengaged? Are you less engaged in the things of God than you used to be? Has that happened to you? Well, that's, that's, that can come about because of isolation. So there's all, all sorts of ways that this can work. So that's the first thing I wanna say this morning is that we are all drifters, but let's get to our second, our, our second point, and it's actually the warning that is embedded in this passage, and that is drifting does not end well. Now, if you go over to later, in, later on, or if you go into uh, another part of the New Testament, in the book of 2 Timothy, it talks about people who have drifted from the faith, and it's people who reject the truth, and it says that those people have suffered a shipwreck in regard to their faith. That is another warning passage. I don't know if you've ever known anybody that started out well in the Christian life, but down the road they, they suffered a shipwreck in their faith. The Bible uses another nautical term. When we get off course, we can suffer a shipwreck of our faith unless we pay attention to it. And so we get into this warning passage. I wanna read it to you. Look at your Bible in verse two. We're given a reason here not to drift, and one of those is negative, and one of those is positive. It says in verse two, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Now what's that talking about there? It's talking about stories in the Old Testament. The Old Covenant law, it was believed, was mediated by angels. And so that was the message it's referring to. And in the Old Testament, there are many, many stories of people who forfeited their faith, who forfeited their inheritance, who drifted away from God and were punished for it. There was a just retribution. So that's what it's talking about there. And he says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now you might be thinking, well gosh, I just, I, man, I just, I just didn't think it would be you know, I just thought God would be okay with my drifting. Well, that would be a mistaken view. That's not the case here. This is a warning passage. I remember one time I was with some friends on a trip to Salt Lake City, Utah. It was in the wintertime. We are gonna go up skiing to like Alta or Brighton or one of those ski slopes, the champagne of the slopes around Salt Lake City, Utah. And it was early in the morning. We were driving through downtown Utah and we were all packed in this car and we had our skis on top ready to go skiing. And suddenly... By the way, there's a guy named Tom that's, that's, that's driving the car. This, this, I think it was like a minivan or something. And uh, suddenly there's this policeman behind us with his lights flashing. So he pulls us off to the side of the road and the officer talks to Tom, who's the driver. I'm so glad I'm not driving because Tom had drifted a little bit. And the officer starts talking to him about the fact that, did you know you were speeding and that kind of thing? And, and Tom responded to the officer, because this is what I want to do all the time. Whenever I get like, when there's like a just penalty, you've truly been speeding, Tom did what I would do. He said, officer, I was just going with the flow. So I was just going with the flow. And the officer looked back at Tom and said, well, you are the flow. And what he was doing is he was experiencing, just because just of that flow, he was experiencing the consequences of speeding. Well, there's a, that's why you have speeding signs, and that's why you get caught speeding, and that's why you have warnings. Well, we're talking about something, about several warnings in the scripture. So what is this warning us about? We've said that it doesn't end well when we drift. So I wanna tell you three warnings that the scriptures give us about drifting about drifting. The first one is this. Number one, the first warning is a warning 
to make sure about your salvation. To make sure about your salvation. See, the Bible teaches a distinction between what is called the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church is everybody that you see in this room, but the invisible church is made up of people who have come to saving faith in Christ. They become Christians, they've experienced a new birth. And so what, what you find so often throughout history and you find that he's warning about in this passage is that there are some people who drift away and it doesn't end well because it reveals that they were never truly Christians. They had never truly put their faith in Christ. Again, these are people that maybe relied upon their religion or they were just sort of around the church and so they, they profess Christ but they didn't possess Christ. And so one of the things you get from the book of Hebrews, and we, we emphasize this in our membership class, is that don't just assume that you're a Christian because you were raised in the church. A person comes to Christ through, by grace, through faith, and they put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's repentance and faith in the heart. It's not just being raised in a religious environment. So one warning here is, to, is for all of us to make sure where we stand with God and to make sure of our salvation. But there's a second warning in this passage. And I think it's a warning to people who are Christians, to, to those of us that truly believe in Christ, that are truly walking with the Lord, but it's a warning to make sure that your heart does not grow cold, a warning to make sure that you finish the Christian life as strongly as you began the Christian life. I have a lot of admiration for some of the older folks in this church because they have lived a long time and they remain white, hot worshipers of God people who continue to believe in Christ, who continue to be engaged in his church, who continue to read their Bibles and to pray and to invest their lives for God's glory, it's a challenge for that to last for a lifetime. But there's a warning here to make sure that you don't just start well, but you also finish well. Let me mention a third warning in this passage I wanna, that I wanna say, and that is to not, not put off coming to Christ. So I have a lot of friends that are not believers in Christ, and we say in our church you can belong without believing and all of that. But this passage, as a warning, even though we, we as a church give people all kinds of space to take their time coming to know Christ, but the Bible actually teaches to not put it off. Don't put it off. Don't think that this period is gonna last forever where you can put your faith in Christ. So that's the third warning that I see in the book of Hebrews and throughout the Bible. Now I know what it's like to experience a warning and how important it can be. Back in 2015, I met with my doctor, Dr. Burns, and he had taken my blood work and he showed me the results, the medical results, the science of my blood work. And I'd always been a very healthy person worked out, tried to eat right, all that kind of stuff. But he said several things to me. He, he said, first of all, he said, one of the big things is that when it came to my blood sugar, it was going in the wrong direction. He said to me, if this does not, if this does not change, you will, you will have late onset diabetes. This is how it's going to affect your life. He said, one of the things you can do, you've got you've to lose some weight and you need to change your habits in your eating. And he gave me stuff I should not eat and stuff I should eat. Now, I was the kind of guy that just ate ice cream every night, uh, did all sorts of, you know, just tons of carbs and sugar all the time, and I thought because I worked out, it wouldn't affect me. And I looked at what the warning that he gave me, 
and it, it, it really changed my life. I didn't say to Dr. Burns, would you quit judging me? Would you quit? How, you shouldn't be warning me. What gives you the right to warn me? No, no. He gave me this warning. He showed me where it was headed. He, he showed me that this will not end well unless you pay attention because you're drifting. You're drifting in your health. And you know what? That changed my life. And with, with his help and with Molly's help, I actually had to change some habits because of the warning. And so I know, I know that in America, we're happy, we're well-fed, we have a great economy, life is good, we're floating along, but deep down inside, be aware, let the Bible give you the diagnosis of your heart, let the Bible give you the science, let the Bible give you the data about your spiritual state and the potential of drifting. And if it does, if you recognize that, accept the warning and make some of those changes that you need to make. Now you're saying, Mike, do you enjoy preaching stuff like this? Well, I don't really know if I do or not. You know, I don't know, hey, they're they gonna love this or whatever, but it's, a, it's in the Bible. It's here, it's a warning. And it's true. So let's go on to our third point. We've talked about how we're all drifters because of the fall. Secondly, drifting does not end well. That's what you see in the passage. And there's a third thing in this passage, and that is hope for drifters. I want to give, I want to give hope to those of you that feel like they're drifting. Where's the hope? It's right here. It's in redemption, and it is in Christ. And let me just talk about that for a moment. As I've, as I've talked about this topic, just being aware and knowing, knowing a lot of you and knowing my own heart, you could probably have several responses to this message and what I've been, what I've been teaching from Hebrews chapter two. Some of you in this room have a response of like, gosh, Mike, I'm just feeling so guilty right now. I've got to get my act together. I'm just feeling so much guilt and shame with all my all my drifting. You know what, to say to, what, what I want to say about that? My goal is not to shame you or to guilt you in being obedient to God. You know why? Because guilt does not have the power that love has. So I want to acknowledge that there is a tendency of the human heart to fall back into what we call moralism or works righteousness that says in response to this message, I just need to get my act together, but we operate out of shame and guilt. Now conviction, that's legit. If you're feeling conviction, I'm not gonna take that pain away from you right now. Let it sink in, let it convict you. But it's not the thing that is gonna forever change you. So that's one response. There's another response, and that's the people that'll walk out of here and forget about this and forget, and just continue drifting because you didn't get the warning in your life. And I would say that, that, that is the response of passivity. The Bible teaches that the Christian life is not about being passive. Remember be, me being out on the beach there, it was almost imperceptible moving north the way the currents are moving. I had to dig in my heels and I had to fight that current. So I'm gonna give you a challenge right now. I'm gonna give you a challenge to fight the current in your life to fight against the current, to take a stand to embrace your faith and to grow in your faith. So I'm gonna talk about three ways that this passage can really change our life. One is three things. 
by way of application here. I want you to notice it says in verse 1, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Now, the word pay much closer attention there is yet another nautical term. It means to put down an anchor, to put down an anchor, to pay much closer attention. That's what it's talking here. So we need to be anchored in several things. Put down your anchor so that you will not drift. Man, I tell you what, all this stuff about 9-11 yesterday, I was not planning to pay attention. I was not planning to relive it. I've had enough of Afghanistan. I've had enough bad news. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And I thought, I do not want to listen to this stuff again. But then I was reminded of the story of Todd Beamer. Todd Beamer was the guy on Flight 93 out in, in Pennsylvania where they hijacked the plane and they were going to turn the plane around and they were going to take that plane back to Washington, D.C. And so Todd Beamer called 911. He was talking to this 911 operator, and he realized what had happened to the World Trade Center, what had happened to the Pentagon, and, he re and then they connected to him with a guy in the FBI who said, that plane that you're on, because of what's happened, we believe that that plane is headed to either the White House or the U.S. Capitol, and it's going to get there in roughly 20 minutes. So what does Todd Beamer do with that? He gets that news, and he's got to make a decision. This is going to count. This is going to, he can't drift, but he's rooted. And so what he does with his 911 operator is he says, will you pray with me? And they prayed the Lord's Prayer, and then they recited Psalm 23. Why? Because Todd Beamer was anchored. He was rooted in God's Word. He was paying attention to that, and he had the courage, rather than to drift, to go in and say, we need to actually take down this plane. And he said, let's roll, and that's what they did. That is the power of being anchored. That is the power of paying attention. That is the power of not drifting in this passage. And it says to pay attention to these three things. Number one, pay attention first of all, did you notice the phrase, verse three, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Such a great salvation. So first of all, pay attention to the gospel. Pay attention to your salvation because that is what's going to stir the love of your heart towards God. So you're not operating out of only shame and guilt and you're not being passive, but you're paying attention to the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel says that Christ died on the cross. He took care of all the sins from the fall. And not only that, when he died on the cross and he rose again, he gave to you his righteousness. And that is a great salvation. And not only that, but he placed his Holy Spirit in your heart to empower you to follow the scriptures and to obey him out of love. That is how great that salvation is. And look at what the writer to the Hebrews says in the next couple verses about that salvation. He says, it was declared at first by the Lord. That salvation was declared by Jesus. It's recorded in the Gospels, declared by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. That's referring to the apostles, the first apostles and their associates who wrote down the words of the Lord and who, under the inspiration of the Spirit, wrote down what we have today in our hands as the Bible. And then it says that verse four, God also bore witness by signs and wonders 
various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. What it's saying here is that this great salvation, you guys, it is true, it is true. That is why you need to stay rooted. That is why that is what needs to be your anchor and to not have to drift. Couple more things I wanna say though about what we pay attention to. First, pay attention to the gospel. Second, pay attention to fellowship in your life. I said earlier, if you take a coal off the fire, it dies out, but you wanna be in fellowship with other believers. And one of the really tough things that I see people falling into is they will break fellowship with people because their feelings were hurt or because they didn't get their way or whatever it might be, all kinds of things, but the gospel calls us to something different. Love covers a multitude of sins, and so when you encounter the fact that you are in a Christian community, whether our church or another church that is affected by the fall and also redemption, those two things overlap. It's not gonna be perfect, but you need to stay in a fellowship where love covers a multitude of sins because that's what's gonna help you be rooted in your faith. And then the third thing I wanna say is to begin to cultivate some habits. Thanks to Dr. Burns, I had to change habits in my life for my health. The Christian life is the same way. That, that Riptide is gonna take you up the shore unless you dig in and unless you engage in certain habits. For example, Hebrews 10, 24, this same book, says to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but encouraging all one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In your Bible or in your bulletin, there is a quote from James Smith. A quote from James Smith that talks about how God changes our hearts, what he says from the bottom up, and what it is is that we have to get into habits that teach us to love God. Loving God doesn't come naturally, but it's getting involved in habits of life. That's worship, that's fellowship, that's studying God's word. It's those habits that will then result in our growing and our love for God. Well, that's our text, that's our warning. That's our challenge. One last thing, and then we'll have our final song in just a moment. But one last thing I want to share with you. This Hebrews 2 passage and your life takes place in the context of this larger story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. This is the great salvation that the Bible talks about, that Hebrews talks about. But it's not just about the gospel. It's not just about the message, but this great story that this talks about back here has a hero. It has a hero. So I'll never forget when I was in high school, I was living in Southern California, and I was body surfing on a day where there was a dangerous riptide. I was standing out in the water with my friend Rob. I was like 15 years old. Rob was 14 years old. He's standing to me, and suddenly we're being swept out to sea. Now the weird thing about it is that I just remembered Rob can't swim. So Rob's standing next to me, we're swept out to sea, and he says to me, I can't swim. So suddenly Rob is clinging to me at that moment. Now you talk about it not ending well when you're drifting and you're not paying attention or being swept out to sea. Well, before I knew it, just appearing from the shore were these lifeguards. This turned out to be the biggest rescue of that summer in Torrance Beach, California. These lifeguards just, just appeared and they threw us these cylindrical 
floatable buoys that we could grab onto, and then we held onto those things, and those, those lifeguards just knifed, knifed their way back to the shore and brought us in safely. Now, the cool thing is we had no thought of lifeguards, but those lifeguards were there watching us, and they knew what was going on, and they came out there to rescue us from the drift. And you guys, that is the power of the gospel, because Christ not only died, not only rose again, but he is seated at the right hand of the Father. We read about that in Hebrews chapter one. He is on the lifeguard stand of heaven, and as we drift, Christ is the one who is gonna come out, and he's the one we need to cling to. He's the one that cares enough to rescue us. He is watching us. He, we're not forgotten. We sang that song this morning, too. We have not been forgotten by him, and you guys, that is really good news and that makes it worth it to follow him. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord, there's a lot in this passage, but it occurs to me as we're talking about this, there's a lot in our lives as well. And uh, Lord, after just this brief time of looking at this passage, we pray that the message of the gospel and the message of this passage would arrest our drifting We wanna say to you, Lord, this morning, here's my heart, take and seal it. Give us grace now to sing about that fountain of grace. We give our hearts to you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.